Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Now, this week, we're looking at the Irish Film Institute, who have been working on a massive project, digitising its entire archive, which has taken a couple of years. They've just been nominated for this work at the Safeguarding of Digital Legacy category in this week's Digital Preservation Awards. Now, to give you a sense of how fierce the competition is, some of the other nominees in the category include the White House in America and the UK Parliamentary Archives as well. This week, Niall Kitson talks to the people behind the project and he started with the head of the Irish Film Archive, Cassandra O'Connell. Sandra, I guess the first thing you have to understand when looking at a project like this is to get a sense of the actual scale of the collection and what sort of the vectors are for material coming in and how things are actually managed at the moment. So before you began the digitization, I, I hesitate to hesitate to say journey, but I guess that's that's what it is. What sort of scale of problem were you facing? Um well, there are two problems that we were facing. One is the digitization of our existing analog collection, um, which is film and tape. And then there is the ability to take in born digital material and to look after that into the future. So both are related, but pose slightly different problems. Um, in terms of our film collection, we have about 30,000 cans of film. Um, we need to prioritise, obviously, film within that uh, for digitisation. And that's done through a number of different um, criteria. One being what's at risk. So obviously, if something is in a state of deterioration and we know that it probably won't survive much longer, it's very important for us to capture it as it looks now. Um, And then we can do interventions afterwards and try and restore it to um, its former glory. Um, The other would be access. So if there's a demand for something and we know that the film collections um, are used, their particular uh, titles that would be used quite a lot, um, we would prioritise those for digitisation as well. And that would also link into the iFi player, which is our our online um, viewing uh, platform. I think I think that's um, two very interesting strands to to explore. So, looking at things at the level of policy and deciding how many copies of what are to be kept um, and prioritising what is to be looked at. Um, how did that? I how did that policy come about? What sort of stakeholders were involved? Um, well, there is the internal stakeholders and our external stakeholders. So. Uh, our, a lot of our use for collections would be um, internally in the Irish Film Programming Department, which exclusively programs Irish material uh, from our collections. Um, and then it would be our two or three main collections that we take in are from the Arts Council, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, and Screen Ireland. So any 
material or any projects that they fund, um, we are obliged, we have an agreement with them that we will preserve them on behalf of the state. So obviously any decisions that we make around our digital preservation activities, we have to make sure that they're in line with their policies as well. So we would have spent quite a long time um, while we were doing Um, creating our our policies and developing them, discussing our own internal needs, um, looking at best practice and standards um, uh, that other archives have adopted and that we uh, were aspiring to, but then also what the needs of our stakeholders, including ourselves, because we are stakeholders as well, we have uses that we um, make of the collection. Um, and then making sure that all of those things aligned and communicating it as well to people is very important to make sure they understand why you've made the decisions you have. And making what you've brought in you know, easy to find for people, which I, I guess um, presents a particular challenge when it comes to metadata. Um, it does. And Raylene will be able to talk to you a little bit more about the whole metadata side of things. For us at the moment, um, our main uh, access portal for uh, our digital collections is through the IFI player. So there's a different type of description and curation, I suppose, of the collections to make them available to people. Uh, Researchers, when they come in, have a different uh, interaction with the collections and they are made available in a slightly different way um, because the material is copyright protected and we can't make it just freely available online. Um, And we have a lot of experience working with research and knowing the kind of things that they're looking for. So we're often able to guide them. So it's still quite mediated in terms of um, access from that point of view. The IFI player, I found, is a a really interesting resource, purely from a a nostalgia perspective. If if you like reading in the years, you really like the IFI player. Um, How did you prioritise what went up on there? Because I know for a while there was a a campaign on RT of of retro ads that really sort of brought some interesting sort of memories back for people but I'm sure there were other factors in play as well in terms of prioritising okay here's something from the late 1800s that's really important and interesting Uh, the print is also knackered yeah I mean I was very involved with the uh, original selection of the material that went up when we launched them, the iFi player um, and not so much now um, because we have somebody who curates the, the collection um, but there is a team of people that would meet up quite regularly like a steering committee to look at what works and what doesn't um, the original idea behind um, what went up was to try and represent the breadth of our collection so we wanted to have home movies up there we wanted to have um, documentaries up there we wanted to have newsreel we wanted to have try and cover the the breadth in terms of date but also content um we also knew that there were particular collections that people were really interested in and had been in the past or asked for regularly and they weren't available to them. So we wanted to make them available as well. And now it links in quite a lot to the rest of our programming here in the IFI. So if we're doing a season on uh, a particular filmmaker or there's an event coming up, um, we can try and link into that to, to have a more rounded, um, holistic approach to programming. Um 
But we also make sure that we use the player as an opportunity to showcase the broader work of the archive. So, for instance, the adverts project that you referenced there, that was a large project um, over 18 months, funded by, uh, partly funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. And the end product, um, the very last part of the project was the material that went up on the player. So it was a really good way for us. We made um, a behind-the-scenes um, kind of little snippet uh, that explained the whole process to people of all of the work that had to go into getting those adverts up on the player and really um, the the hard graph that goes into preservation and uh, cataloging and uh, digitization. So one one last thing to mention then is how you've uh, promoted the work the IFI is doing from a, a in preservation uh, abroad because of course you're nominated for a very prestigious award uh, which is coming up at the end of the month um, so where do you see your own efforts sitting uh, in amongst I mean there are some very eminent nominees in there as well I mean the White House is in there um well, it's something that we've worked really hard on over the last number of years. And I think it started off through our um, lack of confidence uh, and uh, I suppose lack of knowledge in the area of digital preservation that we contacted a lot of other archives to see what they were doing and try and learn from them. And in the process, built up a really good network um, around the world of people um, who we can contact and who call upon us. Um, my colleague, Kieran O'Leary, who has been very involved in our open source um, you know, development was just recently over at the British Film Institute last week and then with MoMA in New York um, uh, giving them advice on, on the work that they do. So um, it's become something that has evolved over time where we started off not knowing what we were doing and then realised that we aligned with what other people were doing in other countries and we're part of this dynamic community now who are trying to figure this stuff out and also share resources because um, the open source community is all about empowering each other and um, keeping the power I suppose so that we're not wholly dependent on vendors um, on large companies deciding how we should look after the material that we look after that we take that power back into our own hands and then we also share it with the rest of the community this is tech central your weekly tech podcast from ireland's techcentral.ie Raylene Casey is Digital Collections and Access Manager at the IFI here, which means that she's basically in charge of the nuts and bolts of what's going on. Uh, So Raylene, just to start with your involvement in the IFI and how the infrastructure works here, um, what sort of back end are you dealing with? And when when a project like Digital Preservation comes along, what kind of audit do you do? How do you sit down and go, okay, well, I'm actually going to need X number of servers, I want to work with this kind of vendor, uh, I do or I don't want to try this kind of software. You know, What sort of latitude do you have in specifying how you want to tackle an issue like this? Um, okay, well, it's very different now than it was when we first started because now we would have a much better idea of what we need and what we work with. But we were very green back in 2013-2014 when we started this and we were very lucky to get some partners that really helped us out. So we got a lot of advice. We were lucky enough to get some funding from um, the Department of the Arts. Um, We built a kind of a technical architecture um, structure 
uh, kind of early 2013 um, that involved essentially putting in a kind of digital backbone of um, fibre optic cable through our building so that we could ingest material in two, three different floors that would all kind of end up in a in a big pool of data on the top floor that then could be written out to um, an LTFS library. But we were really green at the time and we we used uh, a UK vendor, Digital Garage, who we still use and they're still great partners. Um, but at the time, we didn't know much. Like, I guess the thing to kind of understand is that um, we didn't have a choice about going into digital preservation. We were one of the first archives um, in the country that really had to tackle that. And because the reason for that was because film went tapeless and because, um, uh, you know, cinemas started showing on digital projection and the industry went tapeless in terms of filming things. So we didn't have a choice. Like, we had to start taking in board digital material. So we, like, we set up that... Um, infrastructure but but what we didn't realize at the time is like that different vendors and different um softwares and hardwares they're kind of built custom made for broadcast um for a broadcast environment where everything is really fast and everything needs to move fast and everything you need small um flexible um nimble files that can move around really quickly and you know, through the research that we did over the years, we realized that we needed to kind of uh, dispense with these sort of uh, um, proprietary broadcast uh, vendors and kind of start doing a DIY, do it for ourselves, make sure that we can custom make things for for a digital preservation um, structure rather than a broadcast moving things around kind of structure. Which sort of led to your interest in, a, in open source software. So how did how did that hunt for a, for a solution begin? And you know what sort of resources were you using? I mean, I know you use GitHub at the moment. So was that kind of the the starting point as well? Yeah, the starting point was actually because of a, a very distinct frustration with a very distinct software that we were using for transcoding and movement of files. Um, and we were kind of we spent kind of a solid six months you know, failing to get a proper contact and proper support from the company who did this software. And it was so important to us to be able to include metadata and to be able to to move the files in the way that we needed to, etc. And um, my colleague, Kieran O'Leary, basically kind of realized that what this company were doing was using FFmpeg, the open source transcoding software, as their backbone. And so he went off and started experimenting with that himself, taught himself how to code with Python and started writing his own scripts so that we could, just very simple scripts in the beginning, so that we could, you know, transcode material ourselves, so that we could move material around ourselves. And then we started learning a lot about integrity and fixity checking. And um, so we started building those scripts. And he was very interested in... uh, uh, Cooney, Columbia, Columbia University, uh, New York, and their um, archive, and they were using GitHub, and they had a selection of different microservices up there that were essentially scripts that we could adapt for our own use. And through that, he realized, okay, well, a lot of the stuff that we're creating or that he was creating, which was just basic moving with fixity or transcoding regularly used formats, um, 
that a lot of people might want to use them. So he set up the IFI scripts um, GitHub. And essentially, through kind of starting to share with the open source community, we realized that we're all kind of tackling the same problem here, you know, which is um, digital preservation. And like, just to say that digital preservation is kind of, you know, it's very interesting because it's not about preserving the material so that somebody, you know, can watch it on the IFI player now or that somebody can, you know, access it in 20 years time. It's, it's, you know, we want to preserve it in perpetuity. So, um, and proprietary software, proprietary file formats are the things that you would think that are, um, the obstacles to be able to continue to, to digitally preserve. So, they, like, uh, I always use the um, the metaphor of a relay race. Like, we have the baton now, we need to pass the baton on to the next person and make sure that the files that we are saving now, that they are migratable to a format that's going to be, you know, still usable in 10 years' time and then keep on going 10 years' time, 10 years' time. So it's kind of like with digital preservation, you need to constantly be migrating, but you need to make sure that you're using the software and the file formats, etc., to make sure that that stuff is migratable. So everybody's facing that same problem. Um, so being in contact with a, a community that already has done a huge amount of research on this and has already like moved forward massively on this, then to become a part of that and to be able to contribute to that as well as benefit from it, you start getting a pool of people that... And, and, and we've certainly added to that and moved things on a lot with it, especially um, our colleague, Kieran O'Leary. Um, but it just means that like there's, um, there's a security and safety in numbers as well, because I know that there's a lot of people have uh, their reservations about open source because it's like there's, you know, who's, who's, who's giving the support to it, that open source can disappear at any moment because there's not a huge amount of money in it and there's, you know, no corporate company behind it who's, who's making all the money from it because it's essentially free. But the idea is that there's, you know, to us it's invaluable. To us... To us as a digital preservation archive, um, not enough money in the world could pay for the amount of stuff that we're, you know, learning from this and benefiting from this and the money that we're saving by using this. And that's the same with all the other archives around the world. So there's such a, that's where, that's where the support is, is within the community that everybody can, can, can continue uh, to contribute to it and that our successors will continue to contribute to it. Um, yeah. So one last uh, question then for you. There are racks downstairs with thousands and thousands of, of cans in them, basically. Um, however, when you're dealing with digital files, you have the, the option to either use a rack server or use the cloud off-premise or use both. Uh, what kind of solution are you using at the moment? Yeah, so we're not using the cloud um we're um, a little bit scared of it, you know. And we'll give it, a, give it a couple of decades, maybe before we realize. You know, I'm sure at some point we'll move to it, but just uh, for security, to make sure that there's no danger there, we um, we use uh, LTFS uh, library, so LTO tapes. We use LTO six, so LTO is. Um, linear tape operating open is it yeah sorry I, there's all these acronyms and I've forgotten what they what they mean really um, 
So it's a magnetic tape, which is really interesting because um, magnetic tape formats in terms of like BTSPs, VHSs, all of those digibetas, they're the tapes, they're the formats that are seriously at risk and the stuff that needs to be digitized very soon. And so you're like, why are you digitizing from a magnetic tape onto a digital format and then pushing that back onto a magnetic tape but um, it's a linear tape which means that it's not playable like you don't play it and then see it's 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 the data is written onto the tape and then you need to pull it off the tape but also there's a sort of um, a, a plan a forward-looking plan by LTO, the people who make LTO, there's, a, there's actually two companies. Um, so it's like uh, they've had, like, um, we're on LTO 7 at the moment, and then within a few years they'll move to LTO 8, and they've mapped it out to LTO 9 and LTO 10, which will bring us up to 2030. So um, the thing is, the idea is that you migrate carriers every few years. Now, after LTO 10, they might move on a bit, you know, further again or else there'll be another solution that we'll migrate to but the thing is that like so what we have is a library with about um i think 23 tape slots it's a robotic library so we send stuff through a hsm hierarchical system management onto those lto tapes and then that hsm decides where things go and when we need it back we call back a tape and we bring it back but what we do is every file that we accession or put into our our preservation storage we copy onto two other tapes so there'll be a main tape and then two other tape copies one is kept in a different part of the building and one is kept out in our new vaults in in Maynooth. but there's a kind of a big pool of data in a in a in a Synology, you know, an 80 terabyte um, um, NAS um, where we um, where we kind of pool the access resources and we where, where we do all the QC and all the quality control, all the accessioning, all the adding the metadata, etc. before we send it off um, into the LTFS library. But just to say, like, our LTFS library is quite small compared to, like, I've been to... I've been to archives where you can walk in to the library and there's like it, it's almost like a room and they'd have like 25 petabytes of LTO tapes and this is the same sort of um, um, uh, uh, medium that they're using for like banks and all that sort of data they'd have huge LTO tapes there as well and that was Niall Gitson talking to Raylene Casey and Cassandra O'Connell from the Irish Film Institute. Best of luck with the awards, guys. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from our website at techcentral.ie. Or, of course, listen to us each week online or Fridays at 5pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall Gitson, thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.